coming to church or if you've been church, uh, we w- try to work most of the time through an entire book of the Bible and try to tie the Bible together with literary context, biblical context, historic context, so that you become a faithful, understanding disciple of Jesus Christ through the faithful proclamation of the word. I believe that is what we see of the first apostles. This is what we see of Paul. This is what we see, and we want to be faithful to it. Now, all that being said, I'm going to start off with a, a little bit of a story. I've been reading a book by Todd Bolsinger. It's called Canoeing the Mountains. What an interesting title, Canoeing the Mountains. And uh, as I read it this week, it reminded me of some of the characters in this story, remind me of the characters we're about to see or be introduced to this morning as we're going to try to cover Acts chapter 18. Maybe you'll see some similarities here. Let me begin. 15 months of hard travel, a seemingly endless string of days of back-breaking upstream slogging had led to this very moment. Meriwether Lewis recalled all that he had endured. Nervous nights in a strange land, mosquitoes galore, a dark, cold water. Sorry, a cold, dark, cold winter. Not, well, probably water too, probably. Grizzly bears. A month-long portage around an immense waterfall, the death of a companion. But he was here. Lewis and a strong scouting party had gone ahead of the rest of the Corps of Discovery to try to make contact with the Shoshone tribe. They had followed a small trail up a, up a creek, and now we're at the spring itself. This little trickle was the source of the mighty Missouri River. This water would flow all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. They had found what no person of European descent had before them, and the most challenging obstacle on their journey from what was then the United States to the Pacific Ocean was now behind them, or so they thought. Those of us remember our history classes, Right? For over 300 years, explorers of at least four sovereign nations had been looking for a water route that would connect the Pacific Ocean to the Mississippi. I'm sure that went well, right? We all know that. Everyone knew it was out there somewhere. It was a broadly believed, persistent assumption about the way the world was arranged. This assumption not only inspired the Lewis and Clark journey, but had fueled a frenetic race for profits and power. President uh, Thomas Jefferson had indeed commissioned Lewis and Clark and the Corps of Discovery for just this moment, declaring that they should find the cherished water route that everyone believed existed and would ensure the young nation's prosperity. Thomerson, sorry, Tom, President Thomas Jefferson wrote this. Find the most direct and practicable water communication across this continent for the purpose of commerce. Finding the water route had been the key to national sovereignty and financial stability for the French who had been in this new world for centuries. The British, who were mostly in what is now Canada, the, Scot- the Spanish were controlling uh, the southwest corner of the continent, and the Americans, who had recently purchased the Louisiana Territory, Whoever discovered and made claim to this water route would own the trade route and control the resources of the great of this great continent. It would be like owning the internet today. This discovery was deemed so vital to national interest that Spain spent, uh, sent two different war parties to intercept and kill the Corps of Discovery. For Meriwether Lewis, 
Slacking his thirst from a little stream meant that he was about to realize the dream of centuries of pioneers, to fulfill the ambitions of his president, and to enter into the pantheon of explorers. His name and his core would be remembered as the discoverers of the highly prized Northwest Passage. Lewis believed that he would walk up the hill, look down a gentle slope that would take his men just a half a day or so, to cross with their canoes on their backs, and then they would see the Columbia River. After 15 months of going upstream, they looked forward ah, to just letting the current swiftly whisk them to the Pacific Ocean. They would crest the hill, they would find the stream, and they would coast to the finish line. They could not have been more disappointed. Now I'm going to park us there for the moment. We may come back to that later this morning. The reason I share that with you, as I mentioned, is there are people in our passage this morning that were a lot like Lewis and we could say, it, it seems so wrong to say Meriwether Lewis without saying Clark, right? Lewis and Clark, they are synonymous. That's what, how we know them in our history books and whatnot. But they were explorers and, and, and they were adventurous. And I think many of us would say that they were very clearly mission-minded, would you not? Right? So it is with a number of people in our Acts chapter 18 this morning. We find explorers, we find them adventurous, and we find them very clearly mission-minded. And then there happens to be one in our passage this morning we need to be aware of. His name is the Apostle Paul, who is like Lewis was at the end of, our, uh, end of that portion this morning, who was disappointed and afraid. That's really the context we see Paul coming into our passage this morning. He leaves Athens. We saw him last week. Pastor Ryan shared with him uh, about his uh, preaching to the Areopagus in Athens. And now Paul, we see in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, Paul leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. Now, to give you, if you're a visual learner, I like to throw a map on the screen. So just for a moment, let's go ahead and pull this Pull this map if you have good enough eyes. If not, I'll give you the colors of where he's at. Okay, so over here on the left-hand side, we see Athens. You see where that red, that red line goes out to a point? That is Athens. That's where we were at last week. Now this week, today, we find him going from Athens to the west to Corinth. We will see him go to Centria, which is in Achaia right there. And then we follow the red line. We're gonna take, and we're gonna go over to Ephesus, over there in Asia on the west coast, you see it? And then actually we're gonna see where he leaves uh, Priscilla and Aquila there in, in Ephesus. And then there's a new guy, gets, gets introduced by the name of Apollos. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens in Ephesus today in our passage. But here's what happens. Paul says, okay, I'm heading off. And you follow the red line across the Mediterranean Sea. You come all the way down to Caesarea. And then you come to Caesarea, sorry. And you come down to Jerusalem. And then you see, the Bible says he goes down to Antioch. Uh, where I'm from, that's called up. Uh, but he goes up to Antioch. We are actually going to see the remainder of Paul's second missionary journey today and actually the beginning of his third missionary journey. What I'm going to tell you is this did not all happen in a day. 
right? This happened over a great season of time. And I'm going to try to put that in kind of historical context for us so we all know uh, where we are at uh, kind of as we, as we journey. So kind of take that all in and then, uh, and, and I'll try to keep you up to speed kind of where we're at. I always love that kind of gives me a little perspective of how far and how difficult it must have been, how much sailing it must have been. As one of us, Lynn and I were talking this morning, he goes, those ships did not move quickly, so you know those took time. One thing we need to know and remember, though, as we open up Acts chapter 18, is Paul is coming on his missionary journey, and it's not been easy. He's been ridiculed, he's been beaten, he's been accused, he's been thrown over hills and people taking stones to stone him, to throw, to try to kill him. From city to city, Paul's missionary journey has been quite difficult. And so as we come into Acts chapter 18, verse 1, we know that Paul is discouraged, he's tired, and he's fearful. And here's how we know. 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We'll put it on the screen for you. This is what Paul writes when he went to Corinth over there in Achaia. He, he wrote this to the Corinthian church. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Galatians 2.20, isn't it? And I was with you, catch this, in weakness and in fear, and with much trembling. And he continues on. Now, that's how he started. But as we come to our passage today, in, verse cha- in, in chapter 18, verse 2, look at how God, I, I, I like to say it, God, figuratively speaking, God shows up to bring encouragement to his faithful disciple. He gets introduced to an amazing couple. Uh, read along with me in your Bibles or your Bible apps, if you will, in verse two through four. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy and with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and he worked. For they were tent makers by trade, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So recognize what's going on here. Paul and his discouragement God brings about others to join Paul on this mission. God is about bringing others on his mission together. Now, in verse 2, what we can find, what we know is in verse 2, this happened in AD 49. So now if we believe that Jesus was, uh, was, was, was killed in AD, approximately AD 33, uh, we're talking, it's been about 16 years uh, since that occurred, so basically in Acts, from Acts chapter 1 to Acts 18 that we're in today, it's been about 16 years to cover 18 chapters, and then, like I said, we're going to cover a boatload of, of time here today in our passage. Now, how do we know that definitively? Extra biblical uh, history tells us that Claudius, it was found that Claudius had an edict that came out against those in Rome that were of Jewish descent that were proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. There was this big upheaval that history has found where Claudius, when he made this edict, it said that in Rome, estimated about 50,000 people were 
were edict out. They were expelled out of Rome. Can you imagine what that was like? 16 years post Jesus' resurrection and ascension, and Rome is in an upheaval. There's disturbance because there were people proclaiming Jesus and upset in the whole place. Now, why is that important? Two of them, it's believed, obviously here in verses two through four, were named Priscilla and Aquila. They were part of the disturbance. They were part of the, what's believed to be the, 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 the disturbance of Christ in Rome where they were proclaiming Jesus and it was upsetting their apple cart, if you will. And so here's Paul, he's coming and he meets this Priscilla and Aquila who have been repositioned. They found themselves now in Corinth. They have been persecuted for Christ like Paul had been persecuted in many ways. There must have been a great commonality, a camaraderie that immediately happened, so much so that Paul started to work with them as in the same trade because they both knew the skill of working, uh, what we believe, working with leather. They were such an encouragement to Paul that Priscilla and Aquila, Paul talks about them in, in the close of his letter to Rome, to the Roman church. Romans 16.3, Paul says this about this couple as being such an encouragement. He says, Greet Presca, Presca is short for Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life. What a beautiful demonstration of faithful missionary work Priscilla and Aquila were faithful to the Lord and to the advancement of God's kingdom. So what we see in verses two through four is that Aquila and Priscilla moved there to Corinth and Paul ended up working with them for a season. And it goes on and it says that Paul would each day, he would work with them every day, but on the Sabbath, they, Paul would go into the synagogue and he would try to persuade the Jews and the Greeks with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And obviously that continued to happen more and more to where Paul couldn't even spend the time tent making anymore because by verse five, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, kind of caught up with where Paul was at in Corinth, it says that Paul was occupied with the word. In other words, Paul was focused on word work. It was that important trusting that God would provide elsewhere so that Paul could continue to preach and proclaim the faithful word of God. But here's the challenge. We get to verse six. And when they opposed and reviled him, here's what Paul did. Get it? Paul was already discouraged. Paul was already fearful. He comes to another city. He's proclaiming the gospel faithfully. And there were those again who opposed him and reviled the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would say that verse six is probably not Paul's one of his most epic moments because uh, <laughs> he probably spoke more out of his exhaustion and fear and frustration than he did anything. Verse six says, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent from now on. I'm gonna to go to the Gentiles. Here's the kicker on that. Do you remember Paul's commissioning? Paul's commissioning originally that, that, that God said to Ananias, he said, Paul is gonna be my vessel to take the word of God, yes to the Gentiles and yes to kings, but also to the children of Israel. And Paul's saying, uh, no, I'm done with that. Now, when you ever told, kind of said God, I got it from here. How's that gone for it? Maybe it's just me, <laughs> right? You ever said, God, I got this. I don't think your plan's quite right on. I'll just do my deal. 
Man, I think we see that right here in this passage. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm done with the other stuff. I'm exhausted, I'm frustrated, and to be really frank, God, I'm afraid. But amazingly, even though Paul felt that way, we see that God continued to build his church. Look at verse eight with me. It says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And it says, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were faithful to be baptized. Even in Paul's weakest, most challenging, fearful moments, God gets the glory. God builds his church. Let me give you a little context of Corinth for a moment. For over five hundred years, the city of Corinth at this point was known more like we might call uh, Las Vegas today. When you think of Las Vegas, <laughs> what do you think of? Right? We see the commercials. Right? What happens in Vegas? Yeah, you sinners. Okay, so. <laughs> right, I've been there. I've been to Vegas a few times, uh, went a few trips in my insurance days, and, uh, and man, filthy, dirty. Um, Corinth, to put it in context, Corinth was probably a lot like, like we view Vegas today, okay? There was a term called being Corinthianized in that time. To be Corinthianized meant that you had become sexually immoral, now, please hear me. I'm not saying everybody in Vegas is sexually immoral. That's not what I'm saying. But it's, it's the understanding of it. Now, the, the goddess, uh, the Aphrodite, the goddess of love and desire, she was the one on display. So that really gives you the imagery of being Corinthianized. To be from Corinth, that would be what people would look at you from if you said, I am from Corinth. Now, can you imagine declaring like Paul would do, you must repent and believe in Jesus to experience eternal life. How that would have gone in a city like Vegas or a city of, of Corinth amongst all these Corinthianized people. But it's so beautiful. Luke includes here how God's word penetrated hearts. Verse eight, when Christmas came to faith, the ruler of the synagogue, and he believed in the Lord and his entire household believed in the Lord and many other Corinthians believed in the Lord. God can conquer. It doesn't matter what the culture says. His word is unstoppable, my friends. But it didn't, mean that Paul wasn't still discouraged or fearful. Friends, I think we need to faithfully, in our culture, declare Jesus faithfully over and over where we are, no matter how difficult, how scary, or how discouraging it might be. Now, when I think of this, I think of a, a dear brother of mine uh, by the name, and many of us know Doug and, and Jen, his wife, Jen Droll, and, and their family in Romania. We support them uh, financially and prayerfully over in Romania. And I thought, man, what a place, a dark place to go. This dear brother I used to share an office with at my last church is serving faithfully in this dark city that needs Jesus. And I thought, well, let's see just for a moment if we could hear from Doug this morning. So we're going to use a little technology. We're going to trust that Skype or FaceTime is going to work. How are we doing, sound booth? There is Doug. Now, the bad part is he can't see you, 
but we get to see him. So, so Doug, good morning. Good morning. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Wow. So is that clock in the background, uh, is that accurate? Yes, it is. Wow. So when I asked you to do that test drive um, on that Skype and FaceTime at 7.30 our time, what time was that there this morning? 3.30 in the afternoon. Oh, in the afternoon, right? Yeah, so okay. it was good for me. Good. That's good <laughs> for you. I thought for a second there I had... I probably would have said no otherwise. <laughs> you could tell we get along well, can't you? Doug, uh, share, share with us just, uh, I've got a couple questions. We want to, we're, we're in Acts chapter 8 this morning, brother, and we're, we're studying the Apostle Paul, and he's taken the Word of God uh, to, to a really difficult area to, to, to preach. Um, first of all, tell us, how are you and Jen, how long have you been there in Romania? And tell us, how are you guys doing first and foremost? How are you doing this morning, and, and how's your ministry? Okay. Well, we're all a little under the weather. We're not sure if it's the coronavirus or not, but we're all a little ill. Uh, it is, the coronavirus has come to Cryova, and so it will probably will spread pretty quickly here. But um, anyway, we're just a little under the weather, a little feverish, coughing, but Jen, Jen's kind of out of commission today. So mm. otherwise doing well. Well, how the many years? Are, how long have you been yeah. there, Doug? What's that? How many years have you been serving uh, serving the Lord in Romania? Uh, in July, it will be twelve years. Wow, been twelve years. Well, Doug, we're 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 looking in Acts chapter eighteen at Paul and the difficulties of proclaiming the gospel in a dark place like Corinth, um, and 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 it's clear we're about to get into a part where it talks. And shows where he was fearful, and the Lord showed up to him, uh, even though to, to faithfully declare the word. Has there ever been a time that you have been afraid or fearful uh, of to share the gospel with somebody? You ever you have a story you'd share with us, brother? Uh, sure. Um, this story kind of covers uh, two different kinds of fear that are common with sharing our faith. Uh, the first one, it's uh, it's related. It's part of the same story. It happened when we began to work in another city uh, to work with the Roma or the Gypsies in that city. Uh, we began uh, working with um, uh, another couple that lived there, a Romanian couple who had lived in that city who moved there for the purpose of planting a church. And we decided or prayed and God led us to partner with them to do that. And in one part of the city, there was a old communist apartment building that was, looked like it was, you know, um, I don't know, abandoned almost and no windows in it. Uh, fire damage, just very dirty, a lot of garbage. Uh, well in that block, we caught our apartment building, there are 80 families living and so it's one of the places in town that we targeted with the gospel. And so when I went there the first time to actually share the gospel, we had been there to Christmas Carol the, the winter before, but in the summer when we came to actually share the gospel, we didn't know what to expect. So there was the fear of just that first time sharing the gospel with people you didn't know. And, and so the first time we went there, it was sort of like in Acts 16 when Paul is, meets Lydia and the women outside of the city. 
I went there, opened the Bible, and just started proclaiming the good news, and people gathered, and it was amazing. You know, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Uh, the next time we went, this is where the other kind of fear came in. Um, it was like Satan, once we made that first in, uh, contact, Satan just went into overdrive. There was garbage everywhere. The whole place was like a war zone. People were screaming at us, screaming at each other. Um, there were people who were, you know, making steps toward us, like to come after us violently. Um, but the whole time we were praying, we prayed before, we are praying while we're there. And we just knew that God was protecting us. And so we, as we were there with this chaotic uh, atmosphere, we just felt great peace because we knew that God was protecting us. And so we, we, we prayed in those moments that God would give us people who we could share the gospel with in the middle of this chaos. And he did. People came to us out of the chaos and we shared the gospel with them. And, and that happened for several weeks. And, and a few, after a few weeks, the, the anger and the violence toward us ceased. And within a few years, we had been able to, we were invited into many homes, share the gospel, the deeper Bible study with more people. But we truly believe that all of the people of those 80 families heard the gospel in that time. But, but it was a fearful beginning, definitely. Mm, understandably. Thank you for sharing, Doug. Yeah. Hey, do you have your Bible on you, brother? I do. Pull, open up to Acts 18 for us. Um, uh, I think it's good for you and I and, and all of us that are gathered uh, this morning to, uh, would you read Acts 18, verse 9 through 11? You can either do it in whichever language. No, do it in English because we won't understand a thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> read that first. 9 through 11? Yeah, Acts 18, 9 through 11. We'll all be reading along as well. Okay. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Amen. Thanks for reading that. Uh, Doug, I, I want to encourage you. We want to encourage you this morning as we need to be encouraged as well with those verses. Because I think there's a huge hinge pin in our passage this morning here. When Paul was most discouraged and he was fearful, you know, God showed up and he gave, he gave him that vision to Paul. He gave him kind of what I would like to call kind of a couple reminder anchors to, to his faith, a couple of commands and a couple of promises. And you probably caught them in verse 9 and 10. Verse 9, he says, he says uh, in verse 9, he says that... Uh, um, do not be afraid. And I think what he's saying there is we need to replace, let the Lord replace our fear with trust in him in every situation, mm -hmm. just like you demonstrated there uh, as you continue to demonstrate each day. So th those times of fear, like even Paul had, we think the guy is a pillar you know, of faith. He had time of fear. God showed up and said, look, don't be afraid, but you know, replace it with trust in him. And, and I, no doubt, I'm sure you need to be reminded of that each day as do we. And then he said a second command. He says, don't be silent. In our fear, we want to stop and be silent, but we got to keep speaking the gospel. We got to speak Jesus, 
into wherever we, God has us. And, and then I love the two promises. You probably caught them in, in verse 10, as we all did. There in verse 10, it says, he says, uh, for I am with you always. Quite a reminder for all of us of what Jesus said in Matthew 28, isn't it? When he said, look, behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And then he doesn't stop there. He also gives a promise and he says, and he, and, uh, and he says uh, in verse 10 at the end, he says, for I have many in this city that I know, right, that are my people. Now here in context, this is an interesting one. I had fun studying this this week. And I believe mo most of the theologians I studied, they were saying that what, what the Lord was saying was, there are many in Corinth that are my people, but they just don't know it yet. So Paul, I need you to stay I need you to stay and keep speaking Jesus. Don't be afraid. Keep speaking Jesus. We catch it because he stayed there. It says in verse 11, as you read it, he stayed there for a year and a half more. He stayed for another 18 months to declare the good news of Jesus. So we want to encourage you, Doug. Thanks for taking the time. I, I, I'm glad it was the My afternoon and <laughs> the evening. Um, how do you say good evening? In your language? Say it again. Buna sera. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else want to try that? Good job. Doug, can we pray for you before we let you go? That would be wonderful. All right. Father, thank you for, for our brother and sister and his family over in Romania, Lord, who are, are faithfully sharing the gospel. Lord, it's just a great reminder, no matter if you're in Romania or you're out, we're out our back door, Lord, we need to remember that we don't need to be fearful, Lord, but we need to trust in you and keep speaking Jesus into the, into the city around us. For there are many, Lord, that are still out here that don't know the name of Jesus yet, but you are calling Doug and Jen to go and to keep doing this faithfully. So Lord, encourage them today, we pray, and we thank you for their faithfulness to declare your good word in the, in the country of Romania. Bless them, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Doug, thank amen. you. Thank you, brother. Should we give them a round of applause? Thank you. God bless you all. Thanks, Doug. Take care, brother. You too. All right. So did you catch what Paul did? He stayed there in Corinth for 18 more months, trusting in the Lord. I want to reiterate just briefly before we go on to verse 18. These are some of the anchors, I believe, to our commissioning and to our faith. These anchors are that we need to replace our fear with trust in the Lord. We need to continue to speak the good news of Jesus Christ to all we come in contact with. We need to rest in the fact that God is with us wherever we are, my friends. And we need to recognize the, the great news that there are others, and I believe that's still true. What, what the Lord said to Paul in that vision is still true today, that there are people in our community that still need Jesus, that, are, that, that they may not even know it yet, but God's calling us to, to reach them. Let me go to verse 18 this morning. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and he took leave of the brothers and he set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned, uh, reasoned with the Jews. 
When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I, I, I will return to you if God allows. And he set sail from Ephesus. So this is when he's going across, sailing across the Mediterranean. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up, greeted the church in Antioch, and, and went, sorry, he greeted the church and then went to Antioch. So as I mentioned earlier, we see his end of his second mission trip at the end of 22, starting verse 23. It's the beginning of his third missionary journey. What we see in verses 18 through 22 is, is this. We see faithfulness and love for God's church. When Paul left Corinth, he now left with two others that faithful, were faithful to God's church, who loved God's church and were faithful to the Lord. He brought with him uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Man, these people had, had uh, traveled quite a bit from Rome, then to Corinth, and now they came with him over to Ephesus. They obviously had ministered faithfully with Paul while they were in Corinth together. But note now, it's interesting, why, Dr. Luke includes this interesting little thing at the end of verse 18. He says, at Centria, Paul had cut his hair for he was under a vow. I didn't want to move past that. Luke saw it important to put it in here. I think what we see here is an interesting thing called the Nazarite vow. Uh, I believe that's what we see going on here. If you're unfamiliar with the Nazarite vow, you might remember a guy named Samson in the Old Testament. Samson was supposed to have been living under a Nazarite vow. What do you remember of Samson? Anybody remember Samson? What do you remember him for? A hair and what? And a donkey's jawbone. Okay, so that helps us. His hair, he thought, brought him strength, right? Wrong. Okay, so, so okay, here's the heart of a Nazarite vow to get it straight. Samson is, is the poster, he's the antithesis of a faithful Nazarite vow, Okay. Uh, under a Nazarite vow, quickly, uh, unwise, unnecessary, and, um, and unclean. There's three parts is how I remember the Nazarite vow. Let me explain them to you. Unwise, while you go under a vow to the Lord, faithfulness, a spiritual journey with him under a vow, uh, you would not do anything unwise, which would include participating in anything alcoholic drink-wise or anything made from grape juice. That was part of the Nazarite vow. You wouldn't do anything unclean. And something unclean would be to touch a corpse or something thereof of a corpse, a dead bird, a dead body of an animal or a human for that period of, of your vow. And you catch it? That's why Samson was a little bit in trouble with the jawbone, but he was also in trouble because remember the, the bees in, the, in the, the nest that had been made in a corpse of an animal, he went and had some. So he was doubly not faithful on that. And you didn't do anything unnecessary. He did a great job with the hair. He just had a wrong placed structure in that. But anyway, unnecessary is cutting the hair. Luke is letting us know with Paul that obviously Paul was under some form of a Nazarite vow. Paul decided at Centria that he was going to get his hair cut. He cut his hair, and which was custom in that day, you would take that hair and eventually you'd find yourself at the temple in Jerusalem where you would, you would bring that as a sacrifice to the Lord and a, completing, a showing of the completion of your vow. Now, 
That's why we see, obviously, Paul heading from Ephesus and trying to get down to Jerusalem. I also think he's trying to get to Jerusalem, probably in time for the, the Passover, as far as I can tell. But I am most amazed not only in Paul's love and faithfulness to God and his church, I also see the faithfulness and love of Priscilla and Aquila to God and his church as well, to be willing to travel from city to city to go make disciples. It actually caused me to think when I was sermon prepping this week, I thought, you know, if Paul was alive today and he came into, say, Timberline and he wanted to take some people with him to the next city uh, to continue the mission of building up the church, I wondered this, who would Paul take from our body to go do this? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Now we come to the end of verses 23 through 28. And Luke gives us an interesting contrast between two religious profiles on display here this morning. There are those who are competent in the complete gospel message. They were named Priscilla and Aquila. And there were those who were competent but incomplete in their understanding of the gospel. I love each, each year that we do our Simeon Trust Expository Preachers Conference. We fill this place with preachers for our workshop. This is one of the, work, this is one of the teachings we give. I'm going to put these four things up on the board. And I want you to kind of understand this as, a, as an encouragement, not a discouragement. Uh, this is what we talk to with preachers. We say, starting at the bottom, we go, basically anybody who's going to teach the Bible, when they first start out uh, in preach, teaching the Bible to somebody else, they feel unconsciously incompetent. They don't know what they don't know, right? But eventually, the goal is to keep moving up, uh, to become actually consciously recognizing that we are incompetent. We have all there. Well, if you feel that way this morning, you're in a great place because we want to help you to grow from wherever you're at to the next level. So we become consciously incompetent, but eventually the hope is that we become consciously competent. We know that we become competent with handling the word of God. Now, interestingly, in our passage this morning, oh, by the way, there are those in God's church that are unconsciously competent. They are just really stinking good at handling the Word of God, and they probably couldn't even teach anybody how they do it anyway. There are those, I, I think of a few preachers that exist out there today that are just unconsciously competent. They can't teach. They can't teach. How, they're just stinking unconsciously competent to preach the Word, and nobody can do it like them. Uh, but here's this morning. I think we see uh, both couples consciously competent in our passage today, but... Here's the difference. They're consciously competent. One has the complete gospel message and one does not. Priscilla and Aquila get it. They know that Jesus Christ had come, given his life, had rose again, is seated by the right hand of the Father. The work is done. They got it. They've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then there's this dude named Apollos that comes on the scene and, and it says that he was really skillful. He was competent. Let me read it for you in verses 24 through 28. It says this, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He'd been fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him to go, to write to the brothers. I believe the key words there in verse 25 is he spoke and taught accurately. That's Apollos. Verse 26, they took him and explained to him the way of God more 
accurately. Friends, what we need to do, we must learn to proclaim the word of God more accurately. There's nine beautiful, eight beautiful things that Luke says about Apollos. He says he's from Alexandria. It was a place of great knowledge. The Library of Alexandria is there. Uh, he was on mission in Ephesus. He was eloquent. He was competent. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent. He taught accurately about the coming Messiah. But there was one problem. He was baptized into John the Baptist. He was not he was discipled by John the Baptist. He was obedient to be baptized into repentance, and he was waiting for Jesus to come. We can only imagine what it must have been like to be, Apoll uh, be Aquila and Priscilla sitting in the synagogue and having Apollos get up and do this great presentation, possibly from Isaiah 53, which many of us are familiar with. I won't take the time to cover it this morning. But they would recognize, man, he's confident. He's talking about the coming of Jesus. I mean, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, what? Can you imagine sitting there for that moment when he's saying, yeah, yeah, the Messiah's yet to come. And here's a Priscilla and Aquila sitting there in the synagogue going, Apollos, come here. Come with me. Come to our home. Let us teach you some really, something really cool. Do you know what? This Jesus that you're proclaiming, you're talking about, that's about to come, that you heard about from John the Baptist, guess what? He's come. He's already lived his life. He died on the cross. He was rose again on the third day. Everything that's promised from Isaiah 53 and throughout the Old Testament. He's already come. He's, in fact, he's already ascended. He's back to the right hand of the Father. The work's done. And not only that, can you imagine? Can you imagine telling, being the ones that got to tell Apollos? Look, and there's a spirit of God was poured out on anybody who believes. I know we're out of time this morning, but I love the picture of Apollos, a humble man who was instructed in the Lord. A humble man who took and hungry for God's word to teach it more accurately, I believe, and faithfulness of, Apollo, uh, oh, excuse me, of Aquila and Priscilla to bring him humbly and graciously into their home to instruct him properly. Well, this brings us to where we began. Let me finish back into this book. It says, Lewis and Clark and the Corps of Discovery were about to go off the map and into uncharted territory. They would have to change plans and give up expectations and even reframe their entire understanding. What lay before them was nothing like what was ahead of or behind them. There were no experts, no maps, no best practices, and no sure guides who could lead them safely and successfully. The true adventure, the real discovery was just beginning. Now you see, the story of the core of Discovery, Lewis and Clark, is the driving metaphor for our present moment in history as Christians. He goes on and he quotes Bob Johansson. Bob Johansson wrote this, he says, after centuries of stability and slow incremental change, in less than a generation, our world has become what he calls VUCA, V-U-C-A, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Did you catch that? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And he goes on and he says, we now, talking to us, the church today, we now have to use every bit of what we know and become true learners who are ready to adapt to whatever comes before us. My friends, if, we, if this is true of our world today, let me just 
settle it this way. I think we need to remember the core anchors of this passage. We need to rest in our commissioning and, 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 and what God has promised to us. Let me remind us in this morning, and it's this. We need to replace the fear and put it with trust. Let it be replaced with trust in Christ. We must continue to speak Jesus to all. We must rest in the fact that God is with us wherever we go. We must continue to reach the many in our city. I believe that is still true here today. The many in our city that God is drawing to himself. I think we need to be like Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila who are ready to go wherever God calls them, wherever God calls us. And like Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, we need to continue to become more and more faithful with the scriptures to teach one another that Jesus Christ truly came. The church, we need to hear it every day and those in our city around us need to hear it every day as well. Amen? Amen. Uh, this is our time. We're just gonna close this morning with, uh, with um, we're gonna have our time of offering. It's a time where we just invite everybody to respond. Whatever the Lord has convicted on your heart this morning, right where you're seated, I just invite you to have a time of prayer with the Lord. Uh, we're going to uh, go ahead and pass the offering plate and it's our time to respond out of the abundance God has given us with our offerings and our tithes this morning. Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage this morning. We pray, Lord, that we can rest in the fact, Lord, that you are with us wherever we go. There are many in the city around us that, that you call your own that may not even know it yet. So, Lord, let us be faithful to keep speaking Jesus into, this, into our loved ones, into our friends, Lord, to come alongside and love them and point them to Jesus all the time. And, Lord, we pray that you would remove that fear from us and replace it with pure trust in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of the gifts we are about to give. We pray that you would move forward your kingdom by our giving back out of the abundance you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and pass the morning offering.